the biggest misconception was the idea or the ideology of power and control. There's a misconception, again, I think a lot of individuals and our members of our community uh, sometimes share is that control starts from the top or power starts from the top. And truly, truly, not to be too OT-ish, but it's a very much a bottoms-up approach. It is not top-down whatsoever. As a member-driven and as a member-led community, I don't even say association, it, we truly are a community of, of health providers. It truly is bottoms-up. So from the individual practicing providers to the state associations, to the national associations, and then the international associations, there's a misconception that decisions are made without much accordance or collaboration with members. That is 100% false. Those are truly the most frightening decisions that are often will take years and years before they're executed. A decision without collaboration is truly a misconception when it comes to multiple associations, but specifically with AOTA. Hi, I'm Clarice Grody, and welcome to the Amplify OT podcast. I'm an occupational therapist by trade and a policy wonk by choice. This podcast is here to help you survive and thrive in the U.S. healthcare system through a better understanding of policy, advocacy, and value-based care. So let's dive in. Hello, OT Amplifiers. It is Clarice, your host of the Amplify OT podcast, and I am so excited today to bring you the interview with Vikram Pagpatten. Now, before we get started with this interview, I wanted to make sure to make a note that Vic is running for president of AOTA. And while I will not be endorsing any specific candidate who is running for AOTA president, I want to make sure that you know that elections are happening and encourage you to participate. Did you know that less than 4% of AOTA members participate in annual voting? What that means is only 4% of members are influencing the future of our profession. Board member positions, leadership positions are very powerful and they determine the focus, the goals of AOTA, how we should approach membership, and where AOTA should focus its funding. So if you have ever found yourself thinking, gosh, I sure wish AOTA would do X, Y, or Z, then you should be participating in AOTA elections. I promise you, it really doesn't take that long. It opens up on February 2nd of 2024, and you have to be an AOTA member to participate. Elections will then close on February 23rd, 2024 at 11.59 a.m. Eastern Time. So if you're on Pacific Time, you should probably just go ahead and get that ballot in on the 22nd. I'm going to include a sample ballot in the show notes so you can see who is running for president. This year, we're fortunate to have four candidates to choose from. Historically, this position has tended to run unopposed, which of course is a shame because it's a very powerful and exposed position for our profession. And so we always want to have choice. We also have four individuals running for two open positions on the board of directors. And again, it is equally important to vote in that election as well. We have two candidates running for vice president. We have three running for the commission of education chairperson elect and one individual running for the commission on practice. There are also numerous other options for representative assembly, depending on what state you're in, as well as special interest section chairs. You will also notice that when you look at the sample ballot, unfortunately, there were many areas where no nominations were received. 
What this means is that the position will either remain empty or it will be filled by an appointed individual. So this is my time to remind you that pretty much every position that I have ever been appointed to or have been elected to, I have run completely unopposed. So there is no special sauce that makes me qualified to be in a leadership position besides the fact that I showed up. So this is my call to you to show up. If you are looking for how to take that next step in your career, how to learn leadership skills, how to network, which I know those are things on your mind because you're listening to the Amplify OT podcast and I know who you are, right? You are a person who is motivated, who wants to make a difference. And one way to do that is by getting involved in either AOTA or your state association leadership positions. You don't have to feel prepared. You don't have to feel like you know everything. And Vic and I talk about this a little bit in our podcast, but this is me asking you to consider yourself next time AOTA opens up their nominations. There is no shame in nominating yourself. I do it all the time, and it's a great way to build experience. I can tell you 100% I would not be doing this right now if it were not for my leadership experiences with AOTA as well as my state associations. So if there's anything that you think might need some improving with our profession, and I'm going to guess you do, get involved. Make a difference. Make your voice heard. If anything, at least participate in the elections for AOTA. Let's make this the biggest turnout in history for AOTA elections. Remember, join AOTA to be a member in order to participate in the elections. I will link in the show notes the ballot as well as where to submit your vote. Thank you so much for listening to that soapbox. Let's go ahead and get into the interview with Vic. Welcome back, everyone, my OT amplifiers. I am so excited today because we are talking with Vikram Pagpatten, who is and a wonderful occupational therapist and has done, or you're OTA? OTR. OTR, okay. And has done some amazing work. And fortunately, we've had the opportunity to connect a few events over the last few months. I think we've circled each other, but then finally uh, found you at uh, the Momentum Summit and at the Ed Summit as well. So welcome to Amplify OT and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Thank you so much, Clarice. Uh, my name is Vikram Bagpatin. I'm an occupational therapist from New York currently sitting on the AOT Board of Directors in academia. I practice as an assistant professor and admissions coordinator for the MSOT program called SUNY Downstate. I'm also an alum from York College, which is a part of the City University of New York. So I graduated from a public university and I work at a state university. In terms of leadership, I am the president of the Association of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in Occupational Therapy. This is a MDI network association that's a part of AOTA. It was formed back in 1993, and we're currently thriving with over 300 members. Wow. Uh, so it's a great association that's really picking up with social media and engagement. And again, it's a, it's a great asset in the strive towards diversity, equity, and inclusion. I had no idea that it had been around that long. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I didn't know until a couple of years back, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> It was a little lagging with technology and with technology integration and new members and some new energy. And, and again, same purpose, same vision, but just with a more reinvigorated type of approach, it really hit off. Yeah, that's fantastic. And as a uh, fellow wearer of multiple hats, I definitely understand how we have different compartments 
on yeah. some days we're wearing this hat on other days we're wearing this other hat and sometimes it's hard to tell which one we've got on <laughs> and and as ot's we, we're as nomadic as we can be so it's it's always great to really uh diversify our experiences and often try out experiences that sometimes are new they might be challenging but they do contribute back to the profession and to society so i think that's a huge part of advocacy in action I 100% agree. And I think that then leads us to kind of the first question we discussed, which is why did you decide to run for AOTA board, right? Because that's something you have to choose to do and then have to be elected to. So how come you decided to do that? And why now? I'll give two reasons that are major in terms of that particular time frame about a year and a half ago. One is mentorship. My mentors are quite diverse that most of them don't come from OT. They're individuals that are often in the community, individuals from other disciplines, individuals that I feel have a lot to add in terms of experience and knowledge. So they don't have to be just from OT. So I think that's something a lot of individuals get a little caught up on. Mentors are mentors for not only professional development, but personal development or spiritual development. So I think that's critical. So with great mentorship, I was truly inspired to put myself in what I call an uncomfortable situation, in a novel situation where sometimes experiences can be intimidating. Board of directors was definitely daunting. I, I didn't want to be self-depreciating. I didn't want to say that I couldn't do it. I wanted to try to earn the experience the right way. So I, I took a chance. I was mentored well. I consulted with a lot of individuals that I felt could add to my confidence, but also to give me the abilities and the critiques that I needed at the time. So self-improvement, self-investment is always important as a healthcare provider. But it's more critical nowadays, especially with changing times in the healthcare system. So advocacy requires representation. Mm -hmm. Advocacy requires membership. So I took that chance and it went well. So I'm, I'm sitting here as an AOT board director. The second uh, reason is that I truly wanted to see change from the lens of diversity. The lens of diversity is not just racial to me. It's not just ethnic. It's not just gender-based, but rather the diversity of experience. Again, as I said before, I'm a proud graduate of a public university. I'm a proud member of a state university. And I think that definitely adds a good level of experience to the table, coming in from experiences that often are related to socioeconomic status, related mm -hmm. to individuals that are sometimes first-generation college students or the only generation that have ever thought about higher education. So that experience is really great, especially from a New York perspective, I think, just to be a little selfish. <laughs> I felt the timing was right. And again, the hardest decision is to take the first step. I wanted to highlight a couple of things you said, because this is something that whenever I talk with leaders or things that I even resonate with myself is that mentorship is critical. And I think that's such a value that we see. AOTA has some mentorship programs, but so do many of the different organizations like AAPI help support some of those mentorship. And I've had a ton of mentors that have helped me do what I do but also that willingness to grow and to seek feedback. I think a lot of folks, when they're thinking about what a leader is, it seems like you have to be ready to take the step. Like you have to, you have to know all the things that you need to know. You already are prepared and you're just going to be able to step in and do it well. And until you reach those points, then you can't really be a leader. But once you talk to anyone who's been in these leadership positions, I mean, like I openly admit, right, that being a Medicare specialist, what I call myself, is a completely made up term. It's just what I felt best fit what I do, right? But there is no 
you know, list of things that qualifies me to do anything that I am currently doing to talk to you. And I'm sure kind of even you resonate with that. We're like, what makes you qualified to be a board director? There's a certain level of humility that you have to have to understand that you're never going to feel ready for anything. And right. from a student perspective, the NBCOT exam, correct? Whether you're a coder mm-hmm. or TR, the, the night before, you still don't feel ready. I mean, even if- <laughs> but just as with leadership skills or leadership pathways, there are academic, there are clinical, and the non-clinical skills that you feel that sometimes are required to be a developing leader. So I think the level of soft skills, emotional intelligence, and really that understanding of cultural humility. And culture, mm-hmm. by the way, it's not just based upon ethnicity or race. Culture of an institution, culture of a workplace, culture of expectations, those are things you have to embrace. But you have to embrace some of the level of humility that you don't know everything but you're willing to try to learn and try to collaborate with individuals that definitely know a lot of things. So your platform, by the way, Clarice, is a platform that really does amplify, not to be, not to be corny, but it, it no, does, please do. <laughs> really does amplify the understanding that knowledge doesn't have to be traditional. It doesn't have to be gained from just regurgitation of content. It can mm-hmm. be experienced. It can be interactive. That's why I pursued a doctorate in education as an individual who got his primary doctoral pathway in asynchronous learning, I realized that asynchronous learning isn't lesser than synchronous or live learning. And with nowadays, with our changing times in technology, that learning uh, experience itself is quite diverse, whether yeah. it's questions, whether it's video modeling or discussion posts or even podcasts. To me, there's a new generation of absorbing knowledge that is not always from the traditional perspective, right? Of what I call the old school way of learning. Yeah. Is, but instructions and pedagogy have to change with the times. All you have to do is look at TikTok, right? And its popularity. 100%, 100%. And, and, and interesting enough, I'm sure research has shown that retention isn't lesser, right? Versus those platforms versus a traditional textbook or a traditional PowerPoint or so forth. Yeah, I think that translation of information is always a challenge of how do you communicate a message? And that's where we can get into this whole social media and what it means, right? How do I communicate a message effectively in a minute while still presenting enough information that people feel like they learned something, but also not being so vague that you get it wrong? Well said. Well, thank you. And I love that, you know, talking about that needing to learn and the feedback. And so I'd love for you to kind of reflect on too, if you could tell us like, what was your perception of what being a board member or AOTA looked like before? you were elected to your position and how has it maybe shifted since being in the role? The biggest misconception was the idea or the ideology of power and control. There's a misconception, again, I think a lot of individuals and our members of our community uh, sometimes share is that control starts from the top or power Mm -hmm. starts from the top. And truly, truly not to be too OT-ish, but it's a very much a bottoms up approach. It is not top down whatsoever. As a member-driven and as a member-led community, I don't even say association, we truly are a community of of health providers. It truly is bottoms up. So from the individual practicing providers to the state associations, to the national associations, and then the international associations, there's a misconception that decisions are made without much accordance or collaboration with members. That is 100% false. Those are truly the most frightening decisions that are often will take years and years before they're executed. A decision without collaboration is truly a misconception when it comes to multiple associations, but specifically with AOTA. 
100% collaboration is required for any decision that affects any form of a stakeholder, whether it's a prospective OT student, whether it's a small academic institution or a large academic institution. Individuals from Alaska to individuals from Hawaii, if you are a member of the OTP community, decisions funnel upwards, influence funnels yeah. upwards, needs, wants, criticisms, asks, um, all these things are bottoms up. So I do feel as an association, especially from my experience prior to being on the board and now being on the board, there's a huge misconception of the way decisions flow. You know, if we translate that into kind of our advocacy speak of that grass tops versus grassroots advocacy, right? Like the members would be the grassroots advocacy of AOTA and the grass tops would be our leaders and some of the staff at AOTA. And while both are necessary, they're both very important and that you can't have grass tops without grassroots and vice versa, right? And that's where we kind of have leaders come into play. Yeah, and symbiotic. And and again, having that representation of a plethora of experiences, not just diversity when it comes to the way that we look, but diversity from what we've experienced as OT, Mm -hmm. diversity of what we want to see in our OTP community, but rather what we want to see for the next vision, for the next shift of the workforce, right? The next face of of OT, meaning- 10, 15, 20 years down the road. Decisions that are made now are impactful for the next generation of OT leaders. So it's quite critical for representation through elections, representation through state associations. And I think this probably segues well to our next question about why it's critical. It's beyond critical for having representation across the board, especially when you feel things should be different. Yeah, that part of having a seat at the table if we aren't present at that table, like that theoretical decision-making table, then it's really hard for our voices to be heard. And that's where, obviously, anyone who's listened to me before knows that I am advocate for being an AOTA member. But a large reason for that is so that your voice can be represented. Now, there are multiple times where AOTA does open up things to the general public, like I believe the search for the executive director, right? The form that they've had, that's open to members and non-members of AOTA, But ultimately, just kind of like with any business, right, are you going to respond to the people that are paying you and being part of your membership, or are you going to respond to the people who don't? And the people who are part of the membership, who are part of the community, have more opportunities to make their voices heard, Right. which is why I recommend being a member or getting involved in leadership, you know, taking it to that next level if you want to. But that brings that whole point home of being present having a seat at the table instead of sitting back and waiting for information to come to us. I think that's where also we have this dichotomy between social media and the instant gratification that we're used to, right? And the work that's done on the larger advocacy scale that takes a really long time. Yes, a a long time through volunteers, sustained commitment. It's also a long time through multiple stakeholders. It requires work and it requires commitment things that are prerequisites for being a leader or developing into leadership skills. So I I think there's an, yeah, I think you're right, Um, there's an open door approach to understanding if you want to be at the table, A, don't find the table to be intimidating. Uh, There are are individuals around the table that probably are feeling the same way you are when it comes to either feeling like an imposter or feeling a little less qualified to even try to embrace that you might be making decisions or taking actions that impact the larger body. The gist here is that we truly are a member-driven community. 
and to be member-driven, courage, uh, sacrifice, effort need to be placed into the table for things to happen. Sacrifice of time, courage to possibly make wrong decisions, but to Mm -hmm. learn from those decisions. Effort is sustainability. Uh, One thing that I learned very, very quickly from being in academia and and also being in certain certain leadership roles, things happen like a slow marination. (laughs) The more time it marinates, the more holes you find and the more refined the process. Quick example, our bylaws listening sessions. These sessions are open doors for both members and non-members. So again, it's the idea that the entire community is important, irrespective of membership. So imagine, again, if we had more members, more members to make those decisions. It's important to understand that, again, decisions with a larger buy-in might be more fruitful versus a lesser, right? A lesser amount, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think your point of you know feeling intimidated by the table that there are other people who feel that way, I would say that's a good sign, right? Yeah. If you feel a little intimidated to be making decisions, that's a sign that you acknowledge that you are you are not the number one priority in that room, right? That you are acknowledging that certain level of humility. Because even if I had to tie that back to my own recent experience, even with advocacy here in North Carolina on behalf of the state association, right? We were advocating on behalf of reimbursement rates in the state with a commercial insurance. And they asked us, okay, well, do you want to be paid in this way or this way, A or B? And I had to take a step back and say, well, I need to ask our members, First of all, I'm not a private practice owner. So for me, single-handedly to make that decision would not be appropriate. And I had to recognize in that moment that I don't know enough to answer this question right now. And it wouldn't be appropriate for me to know that much. And I think that's kind of also tying back into leadership too, right? Where I have my own certain strengths and abilities, just like I'm sure you do. All of us do, right? I told that even at our state association, like, look, my experience is with Medicare, is with adults, is with some of this private practice. I said, it's not in schools. So I'm going to advocate and participate more in experiences that I'm familiar with than engaging in some of the school-based advocacy because I simply just don't know the system. And so if we want those things to be both represented, then we need to have leaders or we need to have voices that are participating or giving me information, right? How am I supposed to know that something's wrong or something's not working if no one tells me? Well said. And, and you're also acting ethically as well, correct? If you think about it, within yeah. your, your scope, not the scope of the profession or the, the, the community, but your scope on what you feel you're a subject matter specialist in. And I think that is ethical for you to not encroach or encroach on other areas that you don't feel like you should have an opinion on. And I think often our community is, is kind of suffering from that a little bit, if you think about it. Uh, our opinions are quite important. But if I don't feel like I'm informing you the best way that I can, or that I have enough receipts to really qualify me to make my opinion valid to make a decision, I'm going to humbly step back from the table. <laughs> who can make decisions or who can have the, the qual- who does have the qualifications or the experience to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. And again, I think that's a good sign of a developing leader to know Mm -hmm. when to count on the collaborative nature of a member-driven association or a member-driven community. Because truly, we we sometimes cannot take responsibility of things that we don't have any control over, right? Or experience from. Yeah, and that's the hard part, right? Is that there are a lot of things that we simply cannot control. Correct. You know, whether that's, Medicare, CMS, you know, where we can do our darndest to communicate something, but they have no obligation 
to listen to us or even here at the state, right? Negotiating with commercial insurances. Yeah. We can stamp our foot. We can make good points. We could raise a bunch of evidence. They have no obligation to listen to anything that we said. Correct. And again, it's important to my time in Oregon, my time in Texas, and my time in Florida and those particular state associations, including New Jersey as well, listening to the disparities between OTA and OT practice, listening to the concerns of students, the, the issue of debt and the idea of the return of investment, if they've made the right decision mm-hmm. in choosing OT, listening to academics about the crisis of admissions, the crisis of dwindling numbers across the board of public and state institutions, and then also listening to practitioners on how sometimes they feel so disconnected from mm-hmm. just everything going on in the community because of their need to stay on top of Medicare, <laughs> Medicaid, and commercial insurances. We are at a time, I think, in the profession where we need to try to have less of a broader vision and kind of focus just on the things that we can somehow address with quality. It's the not the quantity approach of trying to fix and address everything, but rather let's get through one issue at a time. I think that is critical for us in terms of our sustainability and also to protect our scope of practice. And without that, we're going to be a little bit too diluted when it comes to what we can do for the resources that are still not well there or present. Yeah, and I think that kind of touches on our conversation we had a bit before we started recording was that that return on investment, right? Like what's the biggest bang for your buck? And like one of the favorite quotes that I like to remember just as a business owner for going through different things of like listening, Marie Forleo is a person that I listen to. She's kind of a life coach, business coach, social media personality. But one of her quotes that people share a lot is if you're serving everyone, you're serving no one, right? And I think that's even true where that's what I think is so beautiful about OT, but also such a challenge is that our scope of practice essentially embodies portions of like 10 different professionals, right? We embody portions of what is in a PT scope of practice. We embody portions of what is in a speech scope of practice. We embody portions of what's even in a social worker or case manager or a nurse, right? Like we're almost the center of that Venn diagram of all these different professions. And that's where In my personal opinion, I've always felt that sometimes it's not that AOTA, it's really not that AOTA is doing too little. It's almost that they're doing too much. And if we're doing too much, we can't effectively address what we're doing well. Right. You can only kind of address everything somewhat well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, so. And and again, that's not going to appease everyone, correct? In, in, In that case you're going to feel a little less acknowledged if that's the case and that's our route. I think more or less the idea that our scope is diverse, 100%. Mm-hmm. At the same time, a school-based therapist in New York is probably sharing the same hardships as a school-based provider in Texas or an OTA in New Jersey and compared to an OTA in Florida will have threads of similarities in the hardships that they're facing, by the way, that affect ultimately the consumers. So right. it, it, we, again... We are all, we all do have a sense of co- of humility, but at the end of the game, at the end of this whole conversation, who doesn't benefit from the great potential of our profession? Our clients, our patients, our stakeholders, lobbyists, legislators, Congress individuals that don't see our potential. Why? Because we're bounded by things that we are having a hard time addressing, whether it's reimbursement, whether it's practice, or simply advocating for who we are to referral providers. 
I've, I've experienced that locally in New York, where I've had new graduates say that they have a hard time convincing providers mm-hmm. of the efficacy of the, the potential of outcomes for OTs. We're at a point where I do think we need to kind of hone in on things that should be addressed well. Are you ready to take your occupational therapy practice to the next level? Then look no further than the Amplify OT membership. You heard that right. Amplify OT has its very own membership program. This membership is designed to help occupational therapy practitioners just like you stay informed about the latest developments in Medicare and advocacy. You will have exclusive access to resources, webinars, the Mastering OT Policy and Medicare course, Q&A sessions, plus the ability to DM me your questions and get answers fast. But of course, that is not all. As a member, you'll be part of a community of like-minded occupational therapy practitioners who are share their expertise and offer support. So by joining the Amplify OT membership, you'll be able to stay up to date on the latest Medicare regulations and guidelines, learn how to advocate for your patients and your profession, connect with other OT practitioners and students to share your knowledge, and you'll have access to those exclusive resources and webinars so you can reach your full potential as an OT provider. So don't miss out on this opportunity to take your practice to the next level. Sign up for the Amplify OT membership today by going to the link in the show notes or amplifyot.com forward slash membership. Don't forget to stay informed and be the change that you want to see in our healthcare system. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by MedBridge, your go-to resource for advancing your occupational therapy career and, of course, getting those necessary CEUs. If you are passionate about staying at the forefront of our field and enhancing your skills, MedBridge is a comprehensive solution. With the MedBridge subscription, you gain access to an extensive library of high-quality live and recorded courses led by industry experts. So stay up to date with the latest advancements in occupational therapy, explore evidence-based practice, and enhance your clinical skills. One reason that I really like and recommend MedBridge is because they have both intervention-based courses and policy and reimbursement-based courses, and that is a rare find in a CEU company. But here's the best part for our OT amplifiers community. If you use the promo code AMPLIFYOT at checkout, you'll unlock an exclusive 40% discount on your MedBridge subscription. Yes, you heard that right, 40% off with the code AMPLIFYOT, that's A-M-P-L-I-F-Y-O-T. This is a fantastic opportunity to save some money, elevate your practice, and support AmplifyOT. So don't miss out on this chance to supercharge your professional development and head over to MedBridge.com, use the promo code AmplifyOT, and enjoy the benefits of MedBridge while also supporting AmplifyOT and all the free resources that we produce here, like this podcast. So again, head to MedBridge.com, use the code AmplifyOT at checkout, and we also have the link for you in the show notes. And so to the folks that don't feel like they're being heard or don't feel like their interests are being represented, what would you tell them to do? Truly, the, the gist is come to the table. First of all, it's it's never the case where those concerns are not acknowledged. They're definitely 100% acknowledged. But it's almost like a, I, I kind of do the scenario. It's like me asking my local supermarket to also provide me with things that I often get at Home Depot or Lowe's. I hear your needs. I hear the, the requests. At the same time, it might be a little bit non-practical to address them at the moment. But the gist is come to the table. If you come to the table in all forms, and I think it starts with advocacy at the state level, 
engagement at the state level, whether you're a member or non-member, but member more preferably, and then coming towards <laughs> right, the, the National Association. I always kind of say this, there's always a chain of response. And that's what I tell my students. If there's an issue, again, we, we teach this from the right, from the textbook level to the actual practical level. If there's an issue in practice, it might be between you and the client. If there's an issue with a colleague, it might be between you and a colleague and a supervisor. If there's an issue that's affecting your practice across the board from your local level, talk to your state association, talk to your state reps, talk to your RA reps, talk to your state presidents, and then bring it towards a national level. We're, we're taught this, you know, a very mechanical way of responding to a crisis. It's not that they're never heard or never addressed. Again, it's a membership association with multiple tasks, multiple challenges at any given day. So I think the more engagement, the more volunteers, the more members we have, mm-hmm. things might move a wee bit faster. It's, it's nothing more complicated than that. I know if there was 10 of me, I'd get a lot more done than the one of me, right? Really? <laughs> yeah. And that- I think that's one of the misconceptions, even with AOTA, right? Is there's what I think... 80 staff members, something like that. On a good day. Yeah. And that includes, right, the people who are administrative assistants or the people who are just trying to balance the budget to make sure that AOTA pays their employees and pays their bills, right? So that's not even the number of people who are doing kind of what we see as the face of AOTA, that advocacy or communications. Right. I mean, the staff are truly foundational for the profession. Mm -hmm. I've been humbled to experience that for myself as a board director. Now, I, I didn't realize this as a, just a general member, but the staff themselves are foundational for our ability to, to thrive and our ability to be sustained. The staff are made up of individuals who are passionate about OT, who are also non-OTs. There's a plethora yeah. of individuals that are OTPs, and there are some that are not. It's imagine this, that just having more seats at the table, having more engagement can truly fulfill the staff's requirements to push certain agendas forward, from legislation to practice laws to defending scope of practice to also embracing new emerging areas of practice. We can't have emerging areas of practice if we don't have a sustainable scope, right? Or a, a really good defense in our scope of practice. Or a revenue stream. 100%. Yeah. It goes back to the whole point is we often forget we're member driven. Right. We're driven, we're member led, but you have to be a member. To think that, you know, staff don't take members' opinions into account is definitely a misnomer. And I think that folks don't understand. Obviously, I've been fairly well integrated with AOTA since a student because of my field work and my volunteer experience there and just that I have friends who work there. But, you know, I constantly receive calls or requests of like, hey, we're looking into this problem. Do you have someone we can talk to about this? Like I think of that with the minimum staffing requirements. Should OT be included? Should OT not be included? How do we make that decision, right? It's not just one person. There's one person who's responsible primarily for making the comment letter, but they talk to dozens of leaders and practitioners to try and figure out what should the opinion be? Where does the profession feel like it should stand? Because there's pros and cons to both sides, right? And there's kind of that whole decision Throughout the profession, and that's kind of where the people who are involved are the people's voices who are going to be heard. Yeah. And, and again, I'll, I'll give you a quick example, Grace, just to, yeah. to wrap up in, in terms of, so for example, admissions in New York State. I was concerned about admissions across the board when it comes to my mm-hmm. program, but also my colleagues had the same concerns. We then approached, um, at this time, Beth, who's the current president of the New York State Occupational Therapy Association, with these concerns. 
who was extremely receptive and offered great solutions. So we shared a concern among ourselves as members of our community. We then went to our state association and shared these concerns with that particular entity. We then went to the National Association to talk about concerns with either OTCAS or the state of the profession when it comes to higher education. So this upward flow of feeling visible, feeling acknowledged, it is quite there. If you follow the chain of response or the chain of of interaction, again, I think we underutilize how many individuals or entities there are established that can allow our voices to be amplified from our RA reps to our state associations to our colleagues, even having the form of an Amplify OT and also Camino OT, just having your voice somehow be reciprocated and, or having a, a platform to have a dialogue is critical yeah. having things acknowledged, but also having things addressed. I like that point of, you know, we're talking about that you don't expect your grocery store to carry the things that you might get at Lowe's or Home Goods, or I think of Home Goods, um, or, you know, Home Depot, but it's all about pulling the levers, right? And that's what I say is always, in my opinion, one of the hardest parts about advocacy is learning who's the right person to talk to and what's the right lever to pull. Right. And I think that's where we kind of sometimes get frustrated. And I understand that because our government system is not the most straightforward. Our healthcare system is barely a system, right? And in loose terms, it is a system of sorts, but it's very difficult to know what lever to pull. It's I think of that productivity stuff, right? That's a big hot topic, a big problem in healthcare. AOTA can't set nationwide productivity measures. So even though we can be frustrated and communicate those concerns to AOTA, ultimately, they are not going to be the ones that issue a statement on productivity. CMS is also not going to be the ones who issue a statement on productivity. There is no guidelines in Medicare documents about 80% productivity is appropriate, or this is the best way to calculate it. Where we have seen some success is in the states, primarily addressing caseloads in schools. But really where that lever needs to be pulled is usually at the individual level with an employer. Right. But if you don't know that those are the routes that you can take, if you're just expecting a resolution from someone else where you're not going to get that resolution, it's easy to understand why you get frustrated, disenfranchised, and feel left out. Also have a a level of distrust. And and I get where the distrust comes from. But at the same time, it's important to understand that you're as accountable as anyone else. Mm-hmm. I think this is somehow camouflaged with technology and um, social media and, and also the idea that you're, you're invisible if you have a different opinion or a different stance on expectations. And I go back to this point that I was told by one of my mentors. If I see a problem, I'm just as accountable to try to alleviate or rectify that issue as anyone else. So whether it's in academia or as a student or as a practitioner, Having conversations, having a level or building transparency, and also having practical expectations that are ethical, that often do need to be correlated to either productivity or benefiting the consumers are a great basis to have actual solutions, right? Actual collaborations that are authentic. Accountability is across the board, members, non-members, students, OTAs, OTRs, and so forth. Yeah. And I think that brings back to some of your country travels. If you have been following Vic on social media, you have noticed that you've been in what, like six different time zones? Are there that many in the US? I, you know, thank God for the iPhone, Chris. I, I can't 
keep up. But I, I have a manual watch, a good old manual uh, watch Casio. But I, I, yeah, I don't know half the time if I'm three hours back or two hours forward. <laughs> but you've been traveling across the country. You know, you mentioned state association conferences that you've gone to. And I believe you've been traveling both as like a board director hat as well as on behalf of AAPI. Is that correct? And then also just, I think, for yourself, you've been doing a number of guest lectures and experiences. So now that you've kind of experienced all these different tastes of the profession, like we said, right, there are a lot of regional issues where sometimes there's overlap in what the regional people are feeling, but there's also a lot of differences, right? That's, again, the beauty, but also the challenge of living in the United States. You have so many different environments and cultures, like what North Carolina environment looks like is very different from Utah or even Arizona, New Mexico, right? Just even geographically. So what I guess would you say if you learned from kind of all these different travels or what would you want to communicate that you've learned or the experiences that you've had? I think just that's a very unique experience that not everyone has the opportunity to do is to kind of travel to these different locations as a practitioner or a representative of our profession. Thank you for bringing that up, Clarissa. Uh, First and foremost, I think it's a privilege and I, I do acknowledge my privilege to be able to do that. Because I do know that it's not practical for a student or a practitioner to have that time allowed to actually experience what I've experienced so far in the last four or five months. I've taken upon myself to really get into people's faces. <laughs> and as you know, I'm, a, I'm bald and I have a beard and, and I could come off a little bit intimidating sometimes. But often that human interaction to me is so essential to really understand what's going on from Texas to Oregon to New Jersey to Florida to, to Boston. The notion is that there's energy. There's untapped energy across the board from students to practitioners to academicians. And this energy is about looking for change, but not knowing the pathway to create that change. I think it's important to to mention this as a profound synopsis of my experience thus far from multiple state association conferences and also specialty conferences and specific institutions that I've attended. There's a boundless potential. And I think this was, I think New Jersey had this as their um, state conference or or, or motivator or something like that. But the gist is there's a boundless potential of the next generation of leaders and OTP practitioners that are looking for change, but just need to be guided to the right pathway to create that change. And this Membership Matters campaign, what I've been on so far, is Mm -hmm. at all of the amazing options that, by the way, didn't exist 10, 15 years ago, thank, thank goodness for the plethora of technology, but the amazing options to kind of create or amplify these changes. So from the specialty groups to state associations to the AOTA MDI network and to multiple other affinity groups, the gist is membership matters across the board, not just not speaking on behalf of AOTA whatsoever, but rather find what aligns to your vision, find what aligns to your passion become a member. It is profoundly invigorating to understand the work that requires to be a member and to create change. Listen, Chris, I can say I want hair, but I'm not going to get hair tomorrow. (laughs) I'm not going to have hair. By the way, for for those who haven't seen me, I'm bold. So the the gist is, if I want the change to occur, I really do have to put the work in. Right. And I think students and and new practitioners and, and even academicians, they want their passions and frustrations to be leveraged to actual good work. So the work starts with engagement, whether it's your state association, an affinity group, even the work that we do on social media. And I, and I bring this up multiple times. There's a level of accountability we also have as healthcare providers on social media that right. we all forget about. 
as we all know, you're going to be Googled or searched multiple times before you even set foot in front of a patient or client or student or, or anyone else. And the gist is that level of accountability is just as important as what you do in practice. So the basic gist is membership matters. And I say membership in terms of plural. Be a member of multiple platforms and put in the work. Really, truly put in the work and you'll see change happen. But it's just not practical to want change, but not take a step forward. I can attribute many of the things that I've been able to do to the fact that I am a member of both my state association and or of AOTA or even just, I mean, being a member of my gym. You know, the government has released studies on the risks of isolation and that we have a issue in the United States of isolation and loneliness. And I think being a member allows you to be part of that community. And it's ideally, you know, everything would be free in an ideal, perfect world. But unfortunately, just even running a website or providing a platform for that community to exist does cost money. Um, And that's why oftentimes, you know, our memberships also have to cost money, even for speaking for myself, right? You know, running my platform, running my website takes money. And as much as I'd love to offer everything for free, unfortunately, I cannot. (laughs) It doesn't pay my my mortgage or my my lights. But having that community, it saved my license. I really in Missouri when I didn't know stuff about the Practice Act. But when I joined the State Association, I learned things about the Practice Act but also gave me a network to ask questions because I went to school in New York for my grad for grad school. I went to Columbia and then moving back home to Missouri, I had no network. I didn't know any OTs. I didn't know any OTAs. I had no community. And so I joined my state association and that's where I started meeting people and started feeling a sense of community and understanding how things work in that state yeah. that was different from how things worked in New York. I mean, even looking at those two dichotomies, right? New York City, tons of mental health programs and jobs and resources. Missouri hasn't expanded Medicaid at the time, right? We don't really have a lot of mental health facilities or supports or, you know, the way things work is very different. We have a lot more rural experiences that I didn't receive in New York City. So when I was training as an OT in New York City, I didn't really learn about how to make adaptations for farm equipment. But moving back to Kansas City, even though it's more urban, we still have a lot of rural patients. And so trying to learn what their occupations look like, right, those experiences. And I don't remember where I was going. But anyways, the community, having that community aspect of people to ask questions to was really valuable to me as a, a new grad and as an individual and adjusting in an environment. I think even especially now in post COVID, where we haven't seen people fully kind of getting back out of their homes, there's a lot more internet engagement, which there's pros and cons to that, but being part of something is really fulfilling personally, whether that's OT or something else that you're passionate about. Well said, Grace, and I think it ties back to this main point of now what you said before about valuable. So the idea of membership and value, and and mm-hmm. I this for a long time, and, and thank goodness to the amazing students that I've interacted with at Boston University, at Duquesne, at Pittsburgh, at New Hampshire, uh, even to NYU and Columbia as well. So the, the gist is, what is value? Mm-hmm. What is value? You said it before, you have a gym membership, correct? And you find value in be, having a sense of community, whether it's inspirational, whether it fuels your energy, fuels your 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 need to be uh, to promote health and wellness. Uh, if you have a membership for Netflix or Hulu or a membership for Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts, you are creating that value, correct? That perception of value. You're objectifying it. It's not just subjective. You're having a return of investment. 
So is membership lesser than a, a, a membership for a commercial corporation, right? Like a gym or a cafe or um, a retail store. If you think about it, it's self-investment. And again, I, I don't, I'm not feeding this in terms of my perceptions. This is just my experience that value is subjective, but there has to be an investment. How do you leverage your value? What do you want from your engagement? What do you want from your time? What do you want from, for your money? Now, is it practical based upon what this entity could offer, right? The more time you spend in the gym, you'll see outcomes. The more coffee you drink, you might see a lot of outcomes based upon over-caffeination. But the gist is value is important as a return investment. Mm-hmm. Self-invest. Uh, I think students often need to hear this from mentors and advisors and practitioners. Self-investment is sustainability, but it only benefits our consumers if we self-invest whether it's continuing education, professional development, personal development, but also being a part of entities that create change, and that's membership. So value isn't as complicated as it is nowadays. You need to see the return of investment, but it will come over time, just like with anything else. Yes, I agree that 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 value is so subjective, and I think that's what's interesting about OT and what I try and coach people through in my programs and even these podcasts is to think about what is the value of OT. And that's where you and I've had conversations even about, you know, the cost of AOTA membership. It's really not a cost barrier. It's a perceived value barrier. I always find that funny that, you know, just to nag on my own business, I suppose that my annual membership is more expensive than AOTA's membership. And technically, I don't do as much as AOTA. If you had to look at what they produce versus what I produce, but people have a certain perceived value of what I have versus what they have or both. Often I recommend both, obviously be a member of both, but um, you know, it's that perceived value for OT, right? If I don't have a need for OT, then I don't really see the value in spending $200 on a session. But if I'm really having a problem, like if I had a recent stroke, you better bet that I'm going to start seeing a lot more value in spending those $200, right? And that's, if we can't put ourselves in that framework, and it's a bit of, again, that humbling framework of like, okay, well, what what value do I bring? What makes me worthwhile? How much should I be paid? And I think that's always a hard conversation that we could record another like three-hour podcast probably on of what really is value and the perceived value of something. But I think that's such an important point to highlight. And I think you've been really obviously engaging in things that you see value, right? You've been investing in travels and have had folks support that travel because they see the value in going and speaking to members and spending that money to go to those conferences. And so to kind of tie a lot of our conversation, you've done a lot of work on behalf of API. And that self-investment of me Mm -hmm. getting states, the self-investment of me putting myself in those conferences and and, and those uh, institutions, it's my accountability as being a board director. And as all my fellow board directors are doing, we're engaging different ways. It's membership that comes to fruition, if you think about it. It's, it's saying that I need to know what, what's not well with you when it comes to our profession. Right. I need to know what you expect out of value. By the way, it, it, the, the best way to kind of gain experiences to me is qualitatively, right? Is to have that conversation as opposed to, to reading content. So what I gained from just those simple interactions in the last couple of months have been profound. They've changed the way that I look at membership and the way that I look at our community of professionals. I think without those experiences, Clarice, it just makes it harder to get a pulse of what's going on. Especially if we spend our times, as I often tend to do, too much on social media groups. 
<laughs> right? No one goes to talk on Facebook about how much they love the profession or how much they love their jobs. Yeah. I always feel so disheartened when I see, especially new grads or students be like, I don't know if I picked the right profession because of what I'm seeing here. Correct. But then I always feel good looking in the, if you look at those posts and those comments, there are people who speak up and say, Hey, I love my job. I love what I do. Like I love the profession of occupational therapy. It's part of my identity for me personally of who I am, but I'm just not going to go and post on Facebook about how much I love being an OT because the no one cares. <laughs> Yeah. But I, that's where I find like that sense of, sense of community though, right? Like I always feel, even though I'm exhausted after conferences, I always feel better having engaged in those conversations and hearing the nuances that can't exist in just text and being able to engage in those conversations and find people who are like-minded because it can feel very isolating when yeah. we're sitting behind a computer. I've said that to a number of people, even in my own work, I work from home, right? I work through social media. I produce this podcast. I don't know if anyone will listen to this. 90% of my stuff, I'm sitting here hoping that someone listens to it. And it's so wild to me when I meet people who are like, I recognize you because all I know is that I'm talking into my phone screen <laughs> and posting it on the internet. It's a very, uh, sometimes a very uneasy feeling that sometimes you just say things for the sake of saying things. Mm-hmm. And forums like Amplify OT, to be honest, and, and allow us to kind of understand the similarities in our thought process. And, and again, that truly is embracing diversity, equity, and inclusion. You're allowing a platform to have a difference in opinion. You're allowing or facilitating a conversation that may not align to your morals and values. And that's completely fine. But that is DEI. We have to be okay with things that are different from our own perceptions. Because if we're not, I'm sorry, but that is not DEI then, correct? I mean, just in basic definition, equity and inclusion is. From the recent things, of the recent discussions on the OTA confabs to Camino T to to the um, SIS groups, there are multiple forms for that passionate OT, that OTP mm-hmm. to really release their two cents about what could be better and what they find to be great about a profession. So aside from social media, there's multiple forums for people to connect. So we often forget that just because, again, it's a tool, correct? So social media is supposed to be an exchange of information. It's so readily available in our hands that we often forget about the other platforms like Amplify OT that allow for this uh, these conversations to happen. So I think it's a beautiful thing. Again, it diversifies our options. Yeah, well, I appreciate the plugs and I agree that we have lots of different options. And I think then to kind of wrap up our wonderful conversation, you've talked about all the different avenues and one of those is the momentum conversations, which those are happening. Momentum meetups, meetups is that what they're being called? They're monthly, uh, yes. which those are kind of much more of a community forum that AOTA is hosting, which I believe is open to members and non-members. Again, is uh, free. But I wanted to, that's originally where I kind of thought I need to have Vic on my podcast was because of the panel that you provided at the Momentum Summit, which was in person. That was the first kind of open Momentum Summit. So even though it's technically the third, is the first open one. And that's when I decided to go. I went actually to Bethesda, right? So did you. We went to AOTA headquarters and it was a really fantastic like day and a half, two day event. But you host, well, co-hosted, you were on a panel about the male experience in occupational therapy and male occupational therapy practitioners. So I'd love to hear. It really opened my eyes to a lot of different things that I hadn't considered, right? And I think we talk about that belonging piece of DEI of where things that make me feel comfortable about the profession can make others feel uncomfortable. And I thought it was such an interesting point. So I'd love to know what drove you to want to have a panel like that, to participate in that panel. And if there's any highlights that you'd like to communicate 
to anyone who's listening from who didn't get the opportunity to hear you speak? Well, well, I hope this could offer a little bit of a, of a, a replication of the same thing in any different topic, by the way. But it started first uh, back in Kansas City in 2023 with that last conference. So uh, the, again, the power of networking or the power of feeling like you're a part of a community. From my state association to the New Jersey OT Association, I connected with colleagues that were male OTs or identified as male OTs, OTPs, excuse me. The gist was we've had these conversations together all the time, informally, right, within our own particular groups. There's also a group called Brothers in OT, which is a great consortium of individuals that are, um, again, across the nation that have similar experiences, but are looking at solutions to diversify the workforce. So this particular panel was first created back in Kansas City. This was the second iteration at the Momentum Summit. And the gist is to talk about the male experience as a part of DEI. Not to say that the male experience is more important than the other experiences, but rather, if you talk about DEI, then you have to embrace experiences that might be different or often less popular and sometimes under-amplified when it comes to certain conversations at the table. So men health or men's, men's health, men reproductive, mm-hmm. um, looking at the idea that often students that are males, that identify as males, might feel a little more intimidated with certain topics or certain ADLs that are more towards the other genders or, or affiliated towards the other genders. Now, the gist is feeling uncomfortable, feeling vulnerable, feeling less heard, These are all conversations that have to happen if you truly want to embrace DEI. They don't have to be popular, by the way. And we often get stuck in that popularity perspective. But having that other opinion at the table is crucial. So this particular panel really brought about certain personal experiences from our panelists, including myself, on what we perceived the profession to be at the moment, what we thought the profession was before we became OT students, and also where we are now as agents of social change. So having this panel alone hopefully inspires other individuals to have these similar conversations on topics that are not just gender-oriented, but topics that are less conversed on. A little less spotlight is often shined upon mm-hmm. these topics. So it was, it was truly great. Again, and thank you to AOTA for hosting that panel. Also, thank you for AOTA for allowing that panel to exist at the previous conference back in Kansas City. So not to plug in again membership, but this is why membership is critical. I would, I would encourage anyone to have these conversations or panel discussions at their state associations and consider putting in a proposal for their state conferences. I think that's a great way to start the conversation, especially if we're looking at diversifying the workforce, which again is an ongoing, right? It's an ongoing issue across our profession and multiple professions. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think what the last workforce study said that is 85% women here in the United States. And then I believe if I remember the statistics correctly, of the percentage of male practitioners, 7% are practitioners of color. Is that right? It was definitely lesser, correct? I, was I, it I, less than that? Yeah. Right. So some men, some men of color, those identify as men of color, were much lesser in representation than the majority. Again, and I and I reiterate this point just to be very clear, it's not a statistical war here. To be very clear, because there's certain folks that often believe that it's what's wrong with that. Something wrong with that. But is it proportional to those that we serve? My experience in physical disabilities has been the veterans hospital. And in the veterans hospital, I've heard this come about multiple, multiple times where there are gender preferences of certain consumers or clients that prefer certain genders to be healthcare providers, especially within their care or very vulnerable forms of mm-hmm. care. 
about it. So again, it's not to be a higher statistic across the board, but rather to be proportional to the diversification of society. That's critical here, folks. Not to win a numbers war. It's just again to match up to those that we serve. Yeah, it's just a an objective kind of representation Correct. of the issues, but it's not about it won't necessarily mean that if we achieve 50-50 or whatever the percentage of the individuals we serve, that it means that the work is done. Exactly. Just, just no. And again, that's just uh, another myth or another misconception. Absolutely. Well, I think there's been a lot of important points. And I think if to sum up a lot of its community and that the opportunity to engage in that community is through being a member of something, Correct. whether ideally, in our opinion, that be AOTA, your state association, organizations like, you know, the AAPI group or... And the AOTA MDN networks. Yes, exactly. Um, Or even, you know, there's different committees or the SISs within AOTA. There's lots of different ways to kind of niche down into your community. And even though many state associations have special interest groups and that you can kind of niche down again into your specific interest. And overall, the theme is community and getting together to have these conversations. And if there's one thing that I find OT practitioners tend to be good at, it's having conversations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're telling me, I know. We do find forms of dialogue. We do have to build community, Clarice, as, as you stated multiple times, building community starts with putting in work. This platform is community. Uh, OT is a community. The state associations are communities. Folks, there are open doors everywhere. You just have to find them. Once you're there, just do me a favor look back, <laughs> grab a few other hands and pull them through. I think that is critical sustainability. I love that and bringing people with you. And that's important, right? Because we can't we can't have a community if no one's there. Then it's just me sitting behind this computer. <laughs> it's just us <laughs> just talking to ourselves, taking selfies and hoping for the best. <laughs> and which, by the way, is a, to, it's a little lonely <laughs> if you think about it, if that's all you do. <laughs> community is important, 100%. Yes. And I yeah. love when people message me, and I'm sure you like that as well. You know, it's it's nice to hear from folks that are listening or paying attention that something you did made it, just like any of us, right? We're all human. We make mistakes, but we also like to know that what we're doing is being seen and heard and is worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, well said. Perfect. Well, thank you, Vic, for coming on the Amplify OT podcast. Where can people find you? You're on social media, on LinkedIn. What? Where do you want people to look for you? My name, Vikram Pagpadden. Uh, uh, Instagram is OT. I also have a website. It's VikramPagpadden.com. So on OT Potentials directory with Sarah, Sarah Liam and, and Mitchell. So you can find me on the directory at OT Potential. And again, I'm a huge supporter of Amplify OT, folks. If you really, truly want to learn the way that we learn now through TikTok and <laughs> Instagram Reels and YouTube Shorts, check out Amplify OT. It, it really gets to the point without the fluff. Thank you. I appreciate that. And yeah, OT Potential. Sarah's doing some amazing things. She's another fantastic practitioner who's built a really fascinating and fabulous community around research. And again, another community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Membership matters, right? Like that's going to be the hashtag. Yeah, membership matters. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And uh, I'll make sure to plug all your links in the uh, in our show notes. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. If you made it this far, I want to just take a moment to say thank you so much for listening to the Amplify OT podcast, and I hope you're feeling a little more inspired and prepared to amplify your value and the value of occupational therapy. If you found yourself at any point thinking, gosh, I guess policy isn't that dull and boring, then you're definitely going to love how we talk about policy and advocacy in the Amplify OT membership. 
There's a link in the show notes where you can sign up today so you can take an immediate next step towards emerging as a confident clinician. And of course, don't forget to follow the Amplify OT podcast so that way you never miss an episode. And you know, while you're there, why don't you go ahead and leave us a five-star review because that's the best way to help others find the podcast too. And of course, thank you so much to Jessica Riccio for editing this podcast and for all of you for giving me a reason to record it. You're now officially part of the OT Amplifier community and you are now prepared to go out there and advocate for OT because remember, if we don't advocate for occupational therapy, then who will?